Welcome to Making Moves, a podcast presented by the Center for Sport and Social Justice at Cal State University, East Bay. This episode focuses on sustainability in sport, featuring an interview with Michael Lee. This conversation is hosted by Ange Sunier. This is McKenna Duda, your podcast host. I'm a Cal State East Bay alum, former collegiate, now recreational runner, and I just recently earned my bachelor's degree in kinesiology. I operate within Orange County, California as a sports manager, plus I direct and write the scripts for this pod. So glad to be here again. Here, we'd like to serve our audience by educating and also inspiring y'all to feel empowered through sport and social justice. All athletes, sports fans, and social justice advocates are welcome. Now it is time for mindfulness. Within this portion of the pod, we intentionally consider a thought or topic. Let's link this to today's topic. An important way to encourage others to provide a safe, sustainable, and kind environment is to lead by example. An individual has the power to clean up after themselves. So does a team. A sports team can choose to toss out any trash that remains after a sporting event and to recycle the appropriate items. This is so simple, yet a very overlooked gesture within youth sports and beyond. This can start with you. Likewise, I encourage players to urge teammates to carpool. This saves gas and space. In regards to equipment, consider purchasing gently worn and used items. Please also be sure to get your use out of this equipment and to not fall for trends that urge customers to buy the newest and so-called best products. It is within your power to put sustainable practices into practice and to bring these conversations up within your circles so that others can reflect on their practices as well. Sustainability in sport involves three main components or pillars of sustainability. We should think about economic security, social justice, and environmental quality. The goal within sustainability is balance. Balancing these three pillars so as to achieve the most sustainable practices in our current and future sporting world. Sustainability relates to sport by the equipment and facilities used, the means of viewing the event, the resources involved for powering and creating an event at a particular location, and much more. Social justice will be critical to the viability of sports going forward. Climate change has already made profound impacts on both local and global sports, and we should consider innovative ways of tackling this issue. Hey everyone, welcome to today's podcast. My name is Ange or Angelo Sunier, they, them pronouns. I'm a kinesiology major here at Cal State East Bay, and I'll be your host for this episode. I'm joined today by Michael Lee, who is a professor and chair of the Department of Anthropology, Geography, and Environmental Studies at Cal State East Bay. He has been at East Bay for 26 years and has taught a wide range of courses focused on sustainability, of water systems, food systems, development, cities, and natural resources. 
He previously taught at the Pan American School of Agriculture in Honduras. Born in the UK, he is a longtime soccer player with the East Bay Africari FC and a lifelong supporter of Aston Villa and more recently the Oakland Roots. He is a member of the Alliance for the Black Community at Cal State East Bay and is interested in how sports, social justice, and sustainability intersect. It's a great bio. Welcome, Michael. We're really Thank excited you. to have you. So let's see, to get started, can you tell us where you're joining from today? And uh, just for fun, tell us your beverage of choice. Well, Ange, I'm talking from my office on the Haywood campus. Um, my beverage of choice would be whatever cocktail my friend Dave Hoshin chooses to make for our regular Friday night COVID bubble dinners. Lovely. That sounds nice. Cocktails with a friend, especially during COVID, is important to have that time. All right, let's jump in. Can you define sustainability and why this is an important concept? Sure. Um, so uh, I'd like to paraphrase the definition that Cal State East Bay's Matt Atencio, which I think everybody listening to this uh, podcast knows, uses in his recent book. And he writes that sustainability focuses on practices to improve key elements of human life, focusing on the intersectionality of economic security, social inclusion and justice, and kind of environmental ecological quality. Um, and the purpose is to guarantee the welfare of both the present and future generations. So um, it's an important concept because, you know, over the last 200 years or so, we've accelerated the pace at which we've undermined the environmental systems that, that support the technology rich kind of high consumption, disposable lifestyles of, of us as people. And in doing so, we've got billions of people on the planet using an enormous amount of resources to support our daily lives, but we're using up those non-renewable non resources and undermining the future productivity of the renewable ones, in part because we don't use things like the sunlight that drives our energy and food and systems in a, in a way that's kind of efficient and logical. Great. Thank you for that definition. I think there's a lot more involved than I realize. I'm kind of a novice on this subject, so I'm going to be really interested to what you have to say about it all. Great. So, yeah, you gave us a great definition. Now, can you tell us what does sustainability involve? So uh, when we think about sustainability, we often think about three kind of components or pillars that support the idea. One is economic security. Another is social justice and the other is environmental quality. So if you think about when you're playing tennis, right, it's hitting the sweet spot. It's it's with that sports analogy, it's finding a way that we don't sacrifice or minimize one of those by pushing too hard on another. You know, as a society, we're focused very much on the economy. And often that's to the detriment of the other two pillars. You know, we've got a globalized economy, massive corporations with huge budgets that, you know, that focus on, on, on profit. And, and that's great. You know, modern capitalism, capitalism has been an economic model that served us well, driven us forward in technology, et cetera, benefited us a, a great deal, but really mostly the 20% of the world's population living in those industrialized nations. 
Um, and it's left a lot of people behind. So uh, if you want, I can expand on that a little bit. Um, you know, I, I like to kind of, you know, pause and, and let us kind of interact a little way. If not, I'll keep on talking for, for a long time. So, um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think, yeah, I'd love to hear you expand on that. And the thing that really like catches my attention is just how you're, I like that you're breaking it into the three pillars, mm-hmm. you know, the economic, social justice and the environmental quality. Um, so I'm really curious what you have to say more about that. And especially the way that the, um, economic has been, you know, just so over overly focused on and how can we kind of find that balance? Yeah. So, and that's really important that you focus on that Ange, because, you know, we've benefited a lot of people, but we've left a lot of people behind, right? We've created, and this is why sport and social justice kind of focus on we've, we've left people behind. We've created incredible inequities, both within the rich nations, but also between the rich and the poor nations at the global scale. I mean, in the US, we know we've got one in seven households that have incomes below you know, the official poverty line. And globally, what always staggers me is that one in 10 people around the world live in extreme poverty with incomes of less than $2 a day. And our economic systems really don't pay a living wage to a large proportion of, of workers. And this is in part what Matt refers to when he kind of references social inclusion and justice. Also added to that, in many nations, not, not least in the U.S., this economic inequality is skewed towards you know, minority and immigrant populations, which for many social and historical reasons, including institutional racism, right, have, have not benefited proportionally from the economic gains. Um, you know, that goes right back to colonialism and slavery. I mean, there's been, there's been a long history of inequality that sustainability can help address. Right. I think that's really interesting. I think something I wanted to say that I have kind of like a, my kind of main idea of sustainability is, um, you know, people who, who want to do better for the earth. But I think what I sometimes notice that there's like a gap between people wanting to better the environment, but kind of missing the point that so many humans are, are really not, you know, like you said, living on a very minimal wage and in Mm -hmm. not livable conditions. And I think, yeah, again, I just like the inclusion of these three pillars where it's not just focusing on just the earth, but also the people that inhabit. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we often talk about economic capital, right? You know, the, 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 the wealth that we have, but we don't sufficiently value human capital or, or environmental capital. So we, you know, we don't protect our people and we don't protect our environment from degradation and kind of over, over exploitation. And, and, you know, in the field of environmental economics, we refer to kind of the way that our industrial system has used up resources like oil and created problems like global warming or, or depleted the, the world's fisheries or, or eroded the world's soils, we call these things externalities, right? They're external to the kind of the economic process. Um, same as when we put, you know, chemicals that are toxic into air and water, or the microplastics that are found everywhere today. I mean, the, the negative effects of these things we call externalities because they're passed on to somebody else. They're not included in the price that we pay for things, right? They're not you and me and, and, and the companies that serve us. 
Yes, uh, definitely interesting that you expanded further on that. Thank you. Um, let's see. Yeah, so so one point I'd like to add to that, if you don't mind. Ed, no, please. Um, you know, th this is something that I talk a lot about in my classes at, at East Bay is that, you know, this idea of externalities, whenever we fail to create and build and pay for systems that could avoid negative impacts and instead allow them to occur, right? We're passing costs on to a distant community, to broader society, but to the future generations too, right? To my kids, your kids, your grandkids. And by not building those systems, by not paying those costs, our industries and corporations provide us with goods and services at a much lower price than otherwise would be the case. And they may, or they make higher profits, right? Which you know, is important. No profit, no business. You know, it's it's part of uh, sustainable business means a business that can make a profit. Um, but these basic laws of supply and demand mean that when things are lower, lower price than they should be, we use more of something than is good for us. You know, when it comes to energy, we can afford to be efficient, inefficient. When it comes to food, we can be wasteful. When it comes to plastic, we can be disposable. When it comes to buildings, we can build them bigger than they need to be, right? And this process has played out now for centuries. And that's really what sustainability is about. It's about creating balance again that, that shows us the true value of things, which often isn't very well reflected by the price we pay. Very interesting. A, a question I have on that as far as creating, you know, a more sustainable society, who, who would you say that the, the main responsibility falls on? Obviously individual too, but then there's so much, uh, you know, multi layers of government and different things. Where would you say the biggest change needs to occur? Yeah, you put your finger on it. There is, you know, there's a lot of levels. There are a lot of ways we have to align it all. You know, we all have to pull in the same direction. So, you know, governments, corporations, um, educators, private individuals. I mean, th this is something that requires us all to be, you know, aligned, pulling in the same direction. And, you know, we can certainly talk about that that today. Uh, and, and I think what's happened is that, you know, we don't have that alignment. We don't have that balance. Um, you know, it, it, to me, it's it, it's it's very it's very obvious that um, that you know our systems are really not 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 planned very well to to, to work um, to to achieve that, that those three pillars we've talked about. You know, healthy people, healthy planet, healthy economy. Right, right, and and like you said, I think an important piece of it too is that it seems like the negative effects of you know having such a successful quote unquote economy is that large populations and particularly minority populations and people of color are the ones that are most dramatically affected, you know, negatively while everyone else is benefiting. So I think that's. Yeah. Unfortunately, often that is the case. And that's where the, the whole piece about social justice comes in, you know? So th thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, I really like, again, the way you break it down. It's actually really just helpful making sense for me. All right. So we kind of talked about it generally. Now I want to know, um, how does sustainability relate to sports? Oh, so that's clearly that's the big question for today, right? Um, 
So, I mean, I think sustainability is related to sports in so many different ways, right? From who gets to play sports and how, the equipment we use when we're playing sports, the facilities in on which we play those sports, the way the sports are watched by fans, the energy used to power sports facilities, how we travel to play and watch those sports. There's so many, so many touch points. Um, but that's true for, you know, most things, right? In sports is no different from anything else. It, it's fundamental. Sports, sports and, and the economy, sports and the environment, sports and, and, and people. It, it's, it's multi, multifaceted. Uh, so one way to think about that, right, is that we, we kind of put it into a framework. So, I mean, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of kind of two things. Um, one is, uh, and I don't know how many of our listeners will be, you know, will be a aware, but, um, you know, the United Nations has a, a thing called the Sustainable Development Goals that are a whole series of things that we want to achieve by 2030 that will kind of try and put the earth more into alignment, into that balance of all the different things. And, and so back in 2017, UNESCO, which is the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization, tried to align sports to those sustainable development goals. And they found like nine really important areas where sport and sustainability intersect. One would be the goal number three about health and well-being. You know, improving the health and well-being of people of all ages is something that sport is fundamental for, right? Uh, quality education, providing education and lifelong learning, acquisition of skills. Sports is really important in that area. In fact, you know, you only have to look at, at, at football or at soccer around the world and you see how that can be a, a change for many many athletes from around the world that can that can use their skills to benefit themselves economically and then through that go back and benefit you know their villages their towns some of those stories are amazing um there's goal number five about gender equality promoting equality between men and empowering women and girls decent work and economic growth um that's number eight Reduction of inequalities, number 10. Sustainable cities and communities, number 11. Responsible consumption and production, number 12. And then climate action, combating climate change, number 13. Sport can touch and contribute to all of those areas, which is why, you know, sports and sustainability is a really good topic to discuss. Oh, and the last one that I forgot was number 16, which is about peace and justice and strong institutions. You know, sport brings people together. Sport um, is a way that uh, we kind of create commonality and harmony. So um, sports in, in all sorts of ways is, is really, um, really aligned with the goals or could contribute to the goals of, of sustainable development. That is very cool. I really honestly, had no idea how sport and sustainability would relate. And now you just listed off, you know, 16 or, you know, several amazing goals that make a lot of sense. Now that you connect them to sport, I think, Oh yeah. And I'm a believer that sport really touches like all aspects of life. You know, it's kind of like a microcosm of life in a way, mm -hmm. in many ways. Um, so that's very cool. I think so the one that, that stood out to me really quick was just where you said, you know, I think it was a third one where, people can come into sport and gain more resources and bring those back to their community and Absolutely. empower people. 
Mm-hmm. Very mm-hmm. cool. Totally, because sport is, is, you know, is an engine for economic growth in, in many communities, right? Sports, sports, it's a, it's a place where people can find employment, but it also brings employment through, through its activities there. So, um, yeah, it's a driver of, of economic growth. Um, if you don't mind, one thing that I, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm an academic, so, you know, I have my academic kind of, uh, uh, view of things. And so one thing that we do in environmental studies that I, I've personally been working in is this idea that we can also take a kind of a, a holistic kind of life cycle approach. to when we look at sports or something like a, a professional sports club, right? Any activity we have, be it sports or be it, um, you know, uh, commerce, entertainment, whatever, um, we, you know, we use energy, we, we use resources to execute that activity and produce something, a product, for example, um, you know, a home game by, by, by a soccer club, um, you know, so we can look at what goes in to producing that output, be it, be it, be it a sports event. And, and kind of quantify all the inputs and the operations as to what resources are used, what environmental impacts occur, and kind of capture those with, a, with, a, with, with numbers. And we call that a life cycle assessment. We can also do what's called a social life cycle assessment, which looks at what are the kind of social impacts, good and bad, from the way we do our business. And we can do an economic assessment. Is there a return on the investment. And so one of the things that the industry is trying to do within sustainability is apply this notion of life cycle to something like, like, like sports. Um, so, um, for example, a professional sports club could look at, at w- what impacts its operations have compared to either other clubs in the same field or compared to some kind of goal that they have, like the goal to have zero greenhouse gas emissions or, you know, a hundred percent renewable energy use. This, this approach can kind of do that. Um, a, A social life cycle assessment would look at how a club performs with respect to things that capture social concerns like worker conditions or impacts on local communities or social issues or fan and consumer welfare. You know, do they pay living wages? Is the labor equality are employees discriminated against? Was slave labor used in supplying, you know, the, the, the balls that they play with? Um, do they invest in the community? Do they cause local employment? Do they support women, local, minority-owned businesses? I mean, these things can be quantified and can be presented in a way that you can compare. How good am I compared to somebody else or compared to where I want to be, you know, so it's exciting to apply these kinds of methodologies to, to, to sports, just like in anything else. Very cool. I also am a, like a data geek. So I like hearing the numbers on things. I think, yeah, making that connection is really interesting, especially when you think about the broad range that you just expanded on, like even just down to the ball that is used, mm-hmm. how, how, you know, so many different inputs go into to every aspect and you're making me wonder i guess it sounds like this is already being done are you speaking you know the life cycle assessment is this something that sports are are doing yet or not yeah they're starting to i mean I, I, it's not an area that i that i specialize in but for some of my classes in the past i've had students that have been interested in sports and and sustainability 
And, you know, they've, they, they've gone out into the literature and they've found, you know, studies on either, you know, tournaments or clubs or different activities where, yes, they are applying both um, environmental and social life cycle assessment techniques to really try and understand, you know, how, how, how far along the spectrum from business as usual to better to best um, something is. So yeah, this is, this is totally being studied right now. Um, it's very data intensive. Um, so, you know, um, it, it, it requires some, some effort to do, but absolutely. And that this, this work is being done today. Yeah. Very cool. And I know the uh, Winter Olympics are happening right now. So I'm sure that there's a lot of discussion that goes on, you know, putting on such a big event like that. And mm -hmm. the sustainability piece is probably mm -hmm. discussed. Do you know, do you have any details on like the discussion around the Winter Olympics or just the recent Olympics? How much sustainability has been talked about? Not, not in great detail. I, 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 um, I, I'm aware of, 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 of claims, well, well, efforts that are being made to address the impact of large events, particularly the very high profile ones like, like the Olympics. I mean, if we think about how much resources go into to something like the Winter Olympics, you know, I mean, as I understand it, almost all of the snow is being made by machines, right? That's, that's very energy intensive. There's two ways to do that. I mean, you know, are, are we going to power those machines with electricity made by coal-fired power plants? Or, we, or are we going to invest in renewable energy technologies that can mean that, yeah, okay, you know, we're making snow, but we're making snow with the best available, least impactful technologies. And, and we have to kind of decide, you know, is that the right thing to do? Um, there's a lot, you know, obviously there's some complicated decisions going to making that, that kind of thing. Like, you know, having the World Cup in a, in a really, really kind of hot desert climate where, you know, for fan safety and comfort, you've got to air condition all these stadiums. You know, what does that mean for, for relative impacts compared to having the World Cup somewhere else? So, yeah. The, these issues are totally being discussed by the Olympic Committee, by FIFA, by others, because um, quite frankly, they have an obligation to, I think. I agree. I think it is. Yeah, it is their obligation. And hopefully the, the systems keep getting better as we do move towards a more, you know, renewable energy that, like you said, it's not going to be a perfect world and maybe we will still be making man-made snow. But like you said, it could be coming from a renewable resource rather than... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Using, re using recycled water, for example, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. The cost benefit that it's maybe it's still a little bit of a cost, but there's, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, it's not as much. Mm -hmm. Great. So let's see, let's jump into uh, our next question, which we're going to talk a little bit more about the Olympics and just different like levels of sport. Mm hmm. What would you say that pushing for sustainability differs according to the level that the sport is played, whether it's at the Olympics or within community sport, professional sports, college athletics? How does that differ? Uh, yeah, that's a great question, Ange. Um, you know, I feel from from, you know, understanding the, 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 you know, the topic quite well, that sustainability can be applied you know, at, at various levels and various scales, and we can push for better practices at all of them. It's not, 
you know, one more than the other. Clearly, the scale of the impact is going to vary, but I think at all levels, it's about moving the needle away from, you know, current wasteful kind of damaging or inequitable practices to new standards that have fewer and fewer negative impacts and more and more positive impacts. I mean, that's that's our goal all across the board, right? So, for example, in our local parks, you know, sports fields could be planted with, you know, more drought-tolerant grass species and they can have the most efficient irrigation systems and they can use recycled wastewater instead of, you know, municipal drinking water. They can be fertilized with natural, organic, and not synthetic fertilizers. They can not use toxic herbicides. Um, park workers can be paid a living wage. Um, you know, the costs for that can be passed on to 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 actual users um, through 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 fees. But those fees can be subsidized for people with low income, so that everybody has access. I mean. This is the kind of systems thinking that we could apply at really any level, you know. Um, if we're talking about a professional club, you know, they can build stadiums out of renewal, renewable or recycled materials in locations that redevelop neighborhoods in economic decline. You know, they can hire and train and employ people from the local community especially low-income or underrepresented minorities and offer living wage. They can support local businesses. They can source products sustainably, such as uniforms or, or, or balls that we've talked about. They can install solar panels on stadium roofs or parking lots or training facilities. They can build stadiums at transit routes to allow fans to take public transit to games. games you know, it's So many aspects of the business model could be touched with the brush of sustainability to make it over time switch from being, you know, harmful to helpful to being, um, you know, negatively impactful to actually being positive. Um, so I'm really optimistic. I think there's a lot we could do. That's awesome. Even like you said, on the kind of most local level, even the parks, you could, you know, make that process so much better for the environment for the you know the people there that social justice aspect i guess my question kind of relating to like the third pillar on the economic side is because it sounds so good when you say it it's like yeah let's give people more jobs let's do something better for the earth and let's improve communities that need it but then the question is like why aren't we doing it you know and i'm wondering is it because i mean obviously i think there's a lot of corporate greed and just a lot of greed in general but is, is there like the front kind of like the front load cost so high that people are afraid of, of making that investment? And, and that's kind of, yeah. What, what would you say is the issue? Yeah. yeah so, so, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of obstacles. I mean, part of it is, you know, we already have a system that's built. And so retooling a system is often very expensive. And so, um, you know, people worry about, 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 well, what does that mean? Like for raising costs that it's something that we can't afford to do. Um, in some cases, you know, when we're talking about environmental or social benefits, they might take time, um, to, to, to kind of realize. And, and so we kind of, we take a short term perspective. We think about immediate returns to investment, you know, four or five years, as opposed to things that really, you know, may, may take, take 10 or 15 or 20 years to play out. Um, obviously, sustainability requires investment. 
Um, but it's not always a, you know, a negative. Often that leads to long-term savings. But the problem is, in many cases, it is the upfront cost, right? It's having systems in place where an investor or a, you know, or a, a bank or, or whatever will come up with the, the upfront money to be paid for um, by long-term benefits. And in some cases, uh, from a society's point of view, the benefits we get aren't to the people who spend the money. They're to everybody. They're to the broader society. And so, and often they're in the form of things we're going to avoid. So it's, it's things we don't, you know, it's things that aren't going to happen as opposed to things that are going to happen. And convincing people about that sometimes can be hard, right? Because it's not the same, you know, oh, you know, you, you won't have to spend this is different from you'll get this income. Um, we know what that's like for ourselves. You know, it's hard to make those kinds of, of choices. Um, but also, you know, part of it, Angie, is we've got to get real. I mean, we if we're serious about sustainability, we have to understand that some of the things we've done in the past that were cheap will become more expensive because in the past we've cut those corners and we've passed the costs on to others, environmentally or socially, and we could have avoided that, but we didn't. Um, if we're serious about social justice and the environment, we, we, we have to realize that, you know, some of the things that we've enjoyed doing cheaply will co cost us more. Um, uh, but you know, we'll get quality over quantity maybe. And we have to, we have to kind of learn to adjust our expectations. Definitely. I, I hope that, that we are making that, that turn to quality, you know, over quantity and, like you said, it's, it's going to be a long-term investment and it takes time. It's not kind of the immediate payout. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm trying to stay hopeful <laughs> on that. No, I'm an optimist and I'm an optimist. I appreciate that. And yeah, it's cool to hear you who've done a lot of, you know, research in the field that you, you are an optimist and have mm -hmm. a positive outlook on it. Can you tell us a little bit just briefly why you're an optimist? Like what makes you feel so hopeful? Yeah, well, you know, it's because all the, a lot of the things that we, we want to do is we already have the technologies. We already have examples. We have the techniques, right? Um, so I'm optimistic because I know that it, we don't have to wait for like a new invention or something else to come along. We've got all of the tools that we need. What we need is some, you know, political will, some decisions to actually do it. And there are signs, obviously, that that there are folks willing to do that, who are able to do that. And, you know, we're waking up. We've got some fresh, we've, we've got some, some um, you know, in California, we've, we've made some really good decisions about things like, you know, uh, signing on to the, you know, the Paris Agreement for climate change, uh, our goals for energy neutrality, you know, energy self-dependence, renewables. Oh, there's a lot of really good road signs ahead. My only worry is that, you know, we'll spin our wheels a little bit too long and we'll miss some opportunities. But um, I got to hope for my kids and my grandkids that, uh, you know, we'll, we'll come to our senses and we'll do this stuff. And I, I, I do believe that, that, that we will. And I believe that Cal State East Bay and the graduates we produce will be part of that future and will be helping to make those decisions. So that's another reason why I'm optimistic. I just think our students are going to do great things. Ah, that's very sweet. Uh, yeah, that's 
good to hear all of that. Hopeful is is good. All right, I guess let's come back to sport a little bit now again. And I'm wondering if you have anyone in mind, we've talked about, you know, the different ways that you can make sport more sustainable. Does anyone come to your mind as far as a professional sports team that has taken those steps? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's a, certainly a growing interest in sustainability in sport. We have to be careful that it's not just kind of what people refer to as greenwashing, you know, where where people pay lip service to the idea um, it, rather than do some fundamental profound changes. Like I mentioned, the World Cup out in out in Qatar, you know, I find it very hard to believe that that the that the FIFA or whatever, that they're claiming that this is going to be a, what they're calling a carbon neutral tournament. I mean, I, not in my understanding of that term as an environmental scientist, but there are examples of folks around the world that are that are trying to actually at a at a more kind of local level achieve that. And you know, the one that always comes up when we talk about sport, particularly if you're an Englishman originally like me, you know, is um, is a team called Forest Green Rovers in the Division Two of the English Football League, you know, or Soccer League. Um, it's located in a in a small town called Stroud, and it was recognised by FIFA a couple of years ago as being the greenest soccer club in the world. In part because its major shareholder was a founder of a renewable energy company who kind of rescued the club from near bankruptcy about a decade ago, I think now, and has embarked on a, on a personal journey to make it the world's most profession, sustainable professional sports team. So I've been reading about this club for quite a while now in my, in my morning newspaper in The Guardian. And, um, you know, among various aspects, when I look into the club, you know, they report that they're 100% powered by renewable energy, that their, 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 their playing field, the football pitch is, you know, organic, no pesticide use. They use rainwater that they harvest for supplemental irrigation. The food served in the stadium is vegan. The kits made from like recycled coffee grounds, you know, and, 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 and waste plastic. And they've even recently secured planning permission from, from the council, the local council that governs building to build a brand new stadium for their fans and their team that will be made entirely from sustainably grown wood in an eco park that will not only be a community resource, it will also be like a, a nature preserve and enhance local environmental quality. Um, there's a lot that they do that's clearly close to best practice and they appear to be on their way to doing something that might, if, if we look closely enough and took a life cycle analysis, might be described as being truly sustainable. So, you know, they they're they're held up by many as an example and I, I know that there are premier league clubs that are talking to them there are folks across europe that are interested in what they're doing i think they're um you know i i believe our own Auckland roots is is looking at them um to see what they can learn um and try and apply it here in the east bay in my hometown of oakland Wow, that's great. What a cool, cool example. Yeah, the Forest Green Rovers of the English Football League. Amazing that that's out there and, and working. Um, you mentioned the Oakland Roots organization just now. Can you briefly share a little bit more about A, what the Oakland Roots organization is and does and um, what you know about their commitment to becoming climate positive by 2022? Yeah, so um, Oakland... Oakland Roots is, um, you know, if people don't know it, is uh, is our our local Bay Area professional soccer team in the second division of um, 
of the U.S. football system, and um, I've been to uh, quite a few of the home games there down in um, down at Laney College. I even went up to Sacramento to watch one of the games. Um, and so I'm a, you know, Oakland Roots is my second team. Aston Villa's always been my first team, but Oakland Roots, they're my, they're, they're my local guys. Um, uh, uh, so, uh, you know, and, and uh, from what I can tell, I mean, I'm not personally involved in, in, in that plan, although I think there's some potential to, to work with the Roots in the future. But, um, you know, from what I can tell from the Roots Initiative, um, you know, they are, they have made a start on the path towards sustainability within within the sport of uh, of soccer um you know and that's really important because they've got a really broad local fan base that now got nationwide media exposure and so i think that um you know what they're doing is, is great particularly um this effort they're on now to become what's really carbon neutral or carbon positive which means if we look at all their activities, everything that goes into running the club and putting on a, a season of soccer in the second division of US football, that when they do all of the numbers, analyze all of the data, because of what they do directly or indirectly, more atoms of carbon will be taken out of the atmosphere than is put into the atmosphere. That's ultimately what being carbon positive is all about. So as I understand it, you know, the roots have begun to do an audit of all of their direct and indirect carbon dioxide equivalent emissions. Um, and they are going to try and over time increasingly cause those emissions to be avoided by changing the way they do things, like how they source their electricity, or by offsetting sources that in the short and medium term are kind of unavoidable. Like, you know, if they're gonna play against the Carolina Railhawks, they've got to get on an airplane you know, and fly to, to North Carolina. So um, they'd have to offset that carbon by doing something else, you know. Um, what's really important, and, uh, you know, and, I, and I've, uh, I think that they're, they're totally aware of this, is that, you know, when they try and avoid those carbon emissions, they'll invest in actions that are measurable, that are tangible, things that otherwise wouldn't have expected to have happen if, they hadn't done what they do, right? So true carbon neutrality is when we cause more carbon to be taken in that is emitted. And to do that, you know, if part of that program is to educate youth to live a different life than they otherwise would do, it's got to be clear that that activity means that in the life of that kid that's been educated by, by Oakland Roots, they're going to use less carbon. Um, if they plant trees, it has to be in areas where trees wouldn't otherwise have been planted. You know, it's really important for transparency and for integrity that they work with folks that will enable them to really, um, truly do things that otherwise wouldn't have been done because if, if it would be done anyway, you can't claim it as being something that comes from you. So, you know, one of the main challenges that the Roots and anybody will face is, you know, the fact that a lot of what they do is working with third parties, you know. Um, so those third parties are going to have to align with the Roots' goals, like Laney College, where the Roots play. I mean, Laney College, you know, would, would have to be a partner in that and they could help them in becoming, you know, 100% consumers of renewable electricity. If they have to pay more, well, the Roots can help them pay more by, you know, by by paying Laney College to use their facility, their vendors and subcontractors, you know. 
they'd have to make sure that what they're buying also um, is the best of the best. So they can claim um, secondhand the, 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 the environmental benefits that come from working with partner A, who's good, versus partner B, who's business as usual. So, you know, there's a lot that, that's going on. And so this goal of carbon positivity is fantastic. And it's a sign of real leadership. And like Idris Oganderwal and Mike Geds, who the two, two of the management team that I know personally, right, deserve a lot, of, a lot of great credit. It's clearly of vital importance that they do this for society, that we claw back that carbon out of the atmosphere. And, and, and as they grow and mature as a sports organization and hopefully go on to great success, because I'm a fan, right, that they can influence others to do the same, you know. Um, I know they're already working really well in the area of community engagement and enrichment. I mean, they're very much a social justice oriented organization. I have one example. They uh, offer support to a community partner, My Youth Soccer um, in Oakland. Friend of mine, Steve Sparks, who's an Afrikari teammate, set up My Youth to offer free soccer camps every year to, to kids from, you know, as many as two dozen zip codes. Well, the roots helps support him and, 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 and Joanna Deleuze, who's his, his co-founder, in doing their work. And, uh, you know, um, it, it, it's fabulous. And I know they've got lots and lots of examples like that. So it's not just, you know, climate neutrality they're doing. They're really trying to make a difference within the community. And I hope that, you know, our faculty like Matt, Atencio, and you, kinesiology students, can also help them with this, right? I'm a Roots fan, and I'm hoping that my AGES program and students from my program can also help contribute going forward. I mean, I don't know what that looks like yet, but I think there's a lot of potential for, for partnership in this area between, between the Roots and kinesiology, the Center for Sports and Social Justice, the AGES program. I mean, you know, we've all got to pull together in the same direction. Yeah, no doubt. I think I'm pretty impressed with the the goal and the steps that the Oakland Roots have taken. I think that's really cool and definitely inspiring to hear. And again, just that they're doing not only the taking care of the environment piece, but then also that social justice piece. I'm like, wow, that's that's very cool. Um, let's see. Do you think that it's possible to make sport like as a whole entirely sustainable? And what would that look like? What would obstacles be? Well, if uh, if 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 the listeners could see me, that I'd be blowing out my cheeks right now. You know, that's a that's a big question. Entirely sustainable. I mean, I mean, I I think you know, kind of yes, there are many opportunities to untie like the knots we've made for ourselves across society when it comes to harmful or wasteful practices. You know, some of those knots. Are, are more difficult to untie than others. Like it's like a ball of string that got all out of, out of whack. You know, in some cases, it's going to involve replacing existing systems with better ones. In other cases, we're just going to have to compensate for systems that we have because it won't make sense like to demolish a sports stadium and build a new one. Well, you know, then uh, maybe not. So, and then we have to keep it and we have to mitigate those inefficiencies, you know, in energy and water use, et cetera, by investing in energy generation somewhere else or, 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 you know, treating water, wastewater somewhere else to replace it. So, you know, not, not, not all of the responsibility for sustainability falls on sports shoulders. I mean, but, but, but yes, sports can shift. Can we make it entirely sustainable? 
Well, you know, my classic answer for that as an academic is it depends, right? There's a lot of a lot of things that have to happen for that to occur. I'm an optimist, as I said. I believe that eventually we can retool our society so that sport and, you know, the broader system in which sport takes place, like cities, etc., much of which is built and managed by other sectors, can become carbon neutral, can be powered by renewable energy, can pay a living wage to everybody, can treat people respectfully and equitably. I mean, but it, it's not sport alone to do that. Sport is taking place within a much broader system. But, but you know, those of us who play sport, those of us who watch sport, sport organizations themselves, you know, we can, we can be, um, we can be players, right? We can be players. Um, so, you know, that's w one of the ways in which Oakland Roots can be really powerful. I mean, they're a player, they're a major player, you know, they've got the attention of the Oakland city council. Uh, they've got the attention of, of thousands of, of, of Oakland, San Leandro, Richmond residents who, who go to watch. Um, sports super influential in shaping public opinion as an engine of economic growth, as a mobilizer and motivator of people. I mean, I think we know that, right, about our sports, Ange. It's, they, they get us to do things that we didn't know we could do. Yes, absolutely. And I think that is, I, I, like you said, it doesn't fall solely on the shoulders of sports to make the world sustainable. But like you said, they are very influential and players themselves, you know, become like people have an emotional attachment to players often. And there's so much just like social, um, you know, influence and power there that I think is really beautiful, kind of more on like a person to person level than like a powered down kind of order from the government or something. It becomes more something that people want to do. Yeah. I mean, it's like those soccer, soccer players, those professional sports players that all signed on to that 1%, you know, was it, what was it? Um, the Manchester United player, what's his name? Uh, the Spanish kid. Um, oh, I forget. Uh, you know, he has he has all of his players sign on and they devote 1%. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot, but 1% from someone who's being paid 10 million, 10 million a year. That's 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 not bad. That money goes into social programs. Uh, Juan Mata, Juan Mata. That was okay. Right? Yeah, that's that's not bad. 1% is, is a good... You know... Good Sports, sports can be part of the problem, part of business as usual, or it can be part of the solution, helping us transition to a better system of living. You know, uh, I, I want it to be part of the solution. I want to be part of the solution. I know that you, Ange, want to be part of the solution. Yes, definitely. And speaking of solutions, to wrap up our final question, we want to know for listeners out there, what are some sustainable practices that students and athletes at CSUEB can do on a daily basis? Uh, good question. Bring it, bring it back to back home, back home. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So one of the first things that they can do our student athletes and our students at CS, CSU East Bay can do right is to become educated on the concept of sustainability and the many ways that they can be applied in the case of kinesiology to sports and to prepare themselves to become change agents within sports and through their careers post-grad. I mean, for example, kinesiology could introduce more content on sustainability into its curriculum or encourage majors like yourself to seek out sustainability-focused courses as they take their GE, their general education requirements through departments like my own. For example, you know, at AGES, we created a sustainability certificate that any CSU student can pursue 
which is added to your major degree. And through the focus, though, though the focus of the class is right in that, like uh, sustainable food systems or environment, sustainable social justice, those are two of the classes we teach. The focus of those classes is not on sports. But students interested in sports related aspects of the topic can ask to do a research assignment on sports related sustainability. The instructor can help them with their research and critical thinking, even though the instructor may not be an expert on sports itself, right? So, that, that, you know, as my dad used to say, doesn't hurt to ask. You know, you have to drive your own education. If you're a sports um, major, kinesiology major, and you're taking a class on sustainability, ask the instructor, hey, I want to do a paper on sports, be it on winter sports and the threat of climate change to to winter sports and how we can climate proof winter sports in a way that is not going to, you know, hurt other areas of our goals like energy and 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 you know make it part of the solution and make it sustainable. I had a student write a paper on that in a in a class I taught about what's going to happen to the ski industry in the Sierra Nevada if if the projections of climate change um uh, uh, are, are accurate and what they can do to to preserve that industry because the, the kid was a you know a, a, a snowboard freak so you know that was personal to him and I said go for it let's you know you'll teach me as you teach yourself right I'll, I'll help you shape your your research so stuff like that we can all do that um, maybe in the future your program kinesiology and my good friend Paul Carpenter, your your chair, right, can can hire a faculty that's a specialist in sports sustainability, and then they can teach a class on this. Maybe a team teacher class with someone from my program. You know, we can have a cross listed course sustainability in sports. Maybe that's what we should do in the future. You know, a second thing really is also to be mindful of of what sports is and what it does and how it ends up with outcomes that are wasteful or harmful or efficient and beneficial and play a role in trying to eliminate the former and encourage the latter. So let's say, you know, you're coaching a kid's soccer team, right? You know, something simple like no single-use disposables to be brought for drinks or snacks, right? A policy for the team and that you organize a carpool roster to practice and to games that you keep track of so you can minimize the number of miles driven in a season to the number of players being transported. You know, make it make it local, make it personal, and then use that as a, a teaching moment for for the athletes that may not have thought about things that way. That's that's what's one beautiful thing that people can do. And then, you know, when you get to a position of power or when you make decisions, like if you're working in a park district, make decisions that promote sustainability, that promote access, that reduce costs for you know, those who can least afford it, that that minimize environmental impacts and water use and things like that, or, or become the CEO of a major franchise like the Oakland Roots, right? And get to be able to make your club climate positive. Um, you know, that, that's why folks like Idris, you know, um, can, can, can have a role that he, that, you know, that I think when he started out, he never would have thought that he could do, which is to become, you know, a leader in sustainability as well as living the dream of, of being the C, you know, like the CEO or the, what I think is the chief marketing officer of a, you know, of a, of a, of a, of a nationally, uh, uh, high profile sports club. What, you know, what a wonderful position to be in, but you know, you don't have to be the CEO of a sports club to make a difference. You can be the coach of a little league baseball team or of a, 
you know, of a of a of a Pop Warner football team or of a you know of a East Bay you know under eights soccer soccer team. We can all make a difference, and that's why I'm an optimist, man. I see. I told you. That's great. Yeah, again, the optimism coming through strong. It's it's great to hear. Um, I love what you said about just you know, the overlap between departments and how that could be even more encouraged. And I would love personally to, you know, take more classes that did focus on sustainability within kinesiology because this podcast and just getting to do this discussion with you has really opened my eyes to that. And hopefully for people listening to, and like you said, more teaching moments, you know, that we can all do in, in whatever way that we, we, we work in the world. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, thank you so much. Well, no, and thank you for the chance. You've been a you've been a wonderful host. You asked some great questions and uh, I hope the audience, you know, finds them interesting and hey, you know, uh any any kinesiology student that wants to take sustainability classes, they should, you know, they should drop me an email and, you know, I can I'll see what I can do to point them in the right direction. Definitely. All right. Well, Michael, we appreciate you sharing your time, your knowledge, and just really for going deep with us. Thank you for that. I really learned a lot and I'm going to think about how I can bring sustainability into my kinesiology career. So thank you. Well, well Ange, Ange, wish, wish me luck. Uh, not this weekend, Sunday, but next Sunday, my, my over 50 Africara team are in the, the Grey Cup final for the third year running. Uh, we've won it the last two years. We're hoping we're going to win it this, this year. And, um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, everybody get out there and, and, and play some sports. It's good for the mind. It's good for the body. And, you know, it's, it contributes towards sustainability. So, so thanks for doing this. Bye. This podcast was brought to you by the Center for Sport and Social Justice at Cal State University East Bay. It was produced by McKenna Duda, Kim Muzi, Nikhil, Kernar, and Kashal Sheshadri. The music is by Marby Miller. A big thank you to the Center for Sport and Social Justice co-directors, Dr. Matthew Atencio and Dr. Missy Wright for their support. Funding for Making Moves was provided by Cal State University East Bay and the Center for Sport and Social Justice. Make sure to catch all six episodes of Making Moves, streaming now on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts.